That's not spit, it's condensation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and on today's episode, we have another installment of Winning the Job. This series is dedicated towards speaking with musicians who have recently won an orchestral audition and speaking with them about how they were able to find success in that audition. First up, we have Mark Maliniak. Mark recently won the fourth slash utility trumpet audition with the Atlanta Symphony. It was great to give him a call and have the ability to talk with him about his success. We started the interview with me asking, how did you break down the excerpts in your practice time to ensure you would be totally prepared for the audition? The situation kind of surrounding the Atlanta audition was kind of unique because for me, I, it was the third in a group of five auditions that I was planning to take um, within about a month and a half span of time. So it was it was a very busy uh, six weeks of my life, and the lists were all different than I was planning to take. The first audition was for a principal trumpet audition. The second one was for a second trumpet audition, and then uh, the Atlanta audition was for second and fourth, and then the final two were for section and assistant principal audience. So it was kind of all over the map. Yeah, wow. Um, and I kind of felt that performing for an audition for a principal trumpet audition requires different skill sets than taking a fourth trumpet audition, obviously. So um, I was kind of, uh, to be honest, hitting everything that I could between all types of skill sets. Um, needed for the first principal trumpet audition that I was taking in that five to everything in between. For the Atlanta audition, because it was section, because it was second and fourth, I was, I was trying to focus on a lot of things below the staff, low articulation stuff, getting in and out of the staff with good flexibility, because a lot of those excerpts were basically second trumpet, low range excerpts. And I think like specifically, you know, I was doing a lot of recording, obviously, as other people have mentioned, but I, I would take real care in thinking how I could play things down the octave for this particular audition, like any arm and exercises that would work well below the staff, any type of uh, easy lyrical etudes, conconies, or roshus that I could get into the low end of the horn. Um, I'm thinking about the list itself that was on that particular audition, and it was all mostly second excerpts, you know, second trumpet excerpts. I wasn't playing a lot of piccolo trumpet or, you know, an alpine symphony excerpt. I was playing in the meat of the horn with a good sound and, and being able to demonstrate good low trots. So I was trying to focus in on that, which was kind of tricky, again, in the middle of five different audition lists. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Having five auditions in a row also allowed me multiple opportunities to get used to the audition process again. Um, performing mock auditions for a quarter for people, it's really a great practice technique, but there's definitely ways uh, you can make it feel as real as you can, but there's something that can't be replicated when you have to get off of a plane and spend the night in a hotel and, and you wake up the next morning feeling anxious and right. and you're in that warm room just waiting, wondering how much to play, how little to play, and you know, and then it boils down to that last those 10 minutes that you've been training for, yeah. Um, knowing, knowing that there's not going to be a second chance to, you know, listen to your recorder or get feedback from your friends. So I think you can't really replicate that unless you do it. 
and um, taking an audition once every six to eight months, which sounds like a lot, is still not enough of a familiar event that we typically feel comfortable with. Um, and the fact that I had five to take virtually meant that every week or week and a half, uh, I had real situations to see what was working, what needed adjustments, either physically or mentally. Um, and I, you know, I understand sometimes it's impossible to line up a few auditions. Sometimes it's too expensive or it doesn't work with their schedules. Um, you know, tuba and harp, they're lucky if they get two auditions a year. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it just happened by luck that these work, you know, schedule they worked out. And um, I've typically found that I did a little bit better when I had two auditions somewhat back-to-back, maybe within a month or a month of each other, just to get kind of reacquainted with the audition process. And uh, I think a major reason why I had success in Atlanta stemmed from not only knowing that I had multiple opportunities to learn and gain confidence, um, I'd already taken two immediately before it, and uh, Atlanta was the third, and obviously I didn't go to the final two. Um, but mo- most importantly, as a bigger picture to the whole thing, I think at the start of my entire preparation for all of this, I really believed that I had multiple opportunities to win. And so knowing that, it took off any uh, it took off it took off the pressure off of any one audition in particular. Yeah, that makes sense actually. So you just kind of were like, if this one doesn't work out, then I'll just try. You know, maybe the next one will be the one. Yeah, it was like you know I have, I have multiple opportunities to do well, and uh, it didn't put all my eggs in one basket. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you have anything in particular like? When you had maybe technical excerpts, did you kind of slow them down or did you, do you like to just kind of play them at tempo and just get comfortable with it there? Do you have any, some sort of processes you may have learned through studying or just things you've made up as you've gone along that you feel like are really kind of go-to ways for you that if you, if you go through this process, you'll feel super comfortable playing whatever excerpts that you might have to be playing for those lists? Yeah, I'm I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of not practicing what's on the page. So mixing up articulations, changing rhythms around, you know, if, if it's straight eighth notes, you know, maybe swinging them, or uh, if it's a tongue passage, slurring it a lot. I personally do better when I focus more on slurring passages and focusing on the air. So a lot of times I turn any type of technical excerpt or passage into how can I make this into a singing lyrical passage where I'm thinking about my airflow and, and the phrase. Um, in regards to what I'm listening for when I'm practicing and when I'm recording and listening back, I'm, I'm kind of have like five key points that I think are really critical if you want to succeed, which are your tone, your rhythm, your pitch, your articulation, and, you know, the musical product, your phrasing. And I don't know exactly how to order those things. I don't try to yeah. use them. Yeah, yeah. But I think they're all critical in the having a really great product. So whether I'm practicing, uh, you know, pictures or if I'm practicing Shahrazad or if I'm practicing Shuman 2, you know, three very different types of skill sets, um, I'm still trying to key in on all those five points. And I think, you know, in regards to changing things around, I do a lot of stuff very slowly. I, I kind of think that if you learn something properly at a slower speed, it, you have a better chance of retaining that. Yeah. Versus, 
um, knocking it out of the park two out of five times at the right tempo. I mean, those three misses are probably going to be lingering somewhere in your memory or somewhere in your muscle memory. And I think if you can play things at a speed where you're properly executing it, no matter how slow it is, you know, taking your ego aside, but just as slowly as needed to correctly perform it and get the correct feel of it, I think is has a longer uh, retention rate. Sure. You talk about these five things that you listen for, and like you were saying, maybe you don't order them in terms of importance, but they clearly are all very important. I would actually completely agree um, with those five things. When you listen back, do you listen five separate times trying to focus in on each one of them, or are you just sort of taking it all in at once on one listen or maybe somewhere in between of all that? How do you uh, break it down when you listen to it? You know, I kind of... I try to think of how the committee would hear it, and they're only going to hear it one time. Right. Um, and they're going to make that impression off of one one take. Uh, and I try to do the same in my own practice. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you go back and you re-listen and you think, oh, was that really, did it really sound like that? And that's fine. But uh, for me personally, I didn't ever go back with the idea of, okay, now I'm going to listen for my time. Okay, now I'm going to listen for my pitch. Okay, now I'm going to listen for my articulation. I think it was more like the overall package, and um, did it sound confident? Did it sound appropriate to the to the style? You know, I mean, sometimes I, I would key in on a particular uh, thing and record it just for, for that purpose. Like, okay, I'm going to play pictures. I'm really going to listen for my time. And, you know, maybe I would work out that excerpt only thinking about my time. But in terms of maybe recording a mock audition round, I was trying to to listen to it as in the flow of an audition committee and what they would be listening for and how they would be listening to it. Sure. Um, That makes a lot of sense. When you are preparing this and recording it, are you doing it the same, uh, sort of the same way throughout the whole process? Uh, by, By that I mean, if you start four weeks out, are you sort of preparing about the same way for the four weeks? Or do you say, you know, four weeks out, I'm sort of doing this kind of work, but as it gets closer, my practice might change a little bit. Does that question make sense, what I'm asking? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, kind of a side answer to that is I've done a great routine by Mark Inouye that he uh, had suggested, which is about four weeks out, recording your, your mock audition round, putting all the excerpts like on a piece of paper and drawing them out of a hat. And one, once a day, plucking like five or six of them, recording it and playing it straight through without stopping, um, and listening back at half speed and make any notes and, and corrections that you would want to make. And that would be four weeks out. And then three weeks out, you would do that same process twice a day. So you record two separate auditions and then you listen back at half speed and, you know, mark down your, your notes. And then two weeks out, you do it three times a day. And then the week before the audition, you're, you're really just doing four mock audition rounds and listening back. And that's pretty grueling. Um, I did that for a little bit and I think I maybe got three full weeks. Um, I didn't get to the, like the week before the audition because it's, it's very time consuming about, you know, the same amount of time that you're playing, you're listening back and taking notes. So it's quite a time investment. For this particular audition, I think I was practicing a lot of fundamentals 
as one big chunk about four weeks out from the audition. And I think four weeks out or five weeks, whenever I started working on the list, it was a little bit slower paced. A lot of stuff I already knew. It wasn't like I had to relearn 30 new excerpts. Right. I just needed to kind of get my fundamentals, as I was saying before, into that lower range as quickly as I could because I was taking auditions that were in a different skill set before that. So I was trying to get my fundamentals more in shape for lower trumpet playing, you know, beefing up the sound down down the lower register. And, you know, I've taken a lot of a lot of auditions. I've seen a lot of this stuff before. So it wasn't like, okay, I have to learn Beethoven five. How does this go? So it's more <laughs> just reacclimating myself to to the music. You know, it's like kind of a an old friend that stops back in to say hi. <laughs> right, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and I think as I felt more comfortable, and obviously as I had to learn some more newer notes, a couple weeks before the audition, maybe two, I was really just starting to run things and starting to hit it pretty hard, you know, reps, a lot of reps, okay. in addition to balancing that out with fundamentals as well. So you're probably not doing quite as many fundamentals two weeks out since you're running things more, or did you just practice longer two weeks out? I kind of hit it hard. I mean, I was practicing my fundamentals that I know I needed to keep in shape in order to do the audition properly. Um, and I would find time to be running lists and also working on them. I mean, I, I would try as much as I could to actually just run through six or seven or eight. Um, and then I also found practice sessions where I was just going to work, you know, from top to bottom on the list. I will say one thing that I think I did differently and my approach kind of changed um, as I found I was starting to get more success in auditions and in dancing and, and, and getting further along in the process was starting to work on not playing like a trumpet player dynamically. You know, I, I think we we really like to play loud sometimes. And I, I was really starting to make a conscious turn in my playing where I was trying to approach these auditions and I was having more success as I was realizing that I was not always just going out on stage and playing the loudest opening the pictures on exhibition as I could, you know? Right. Um, I think the control of my dynamics improved and so did my uh, results in auditions. So I think for Atlanta, I was trying to go in with the mindset of really highlighting how controlled I could play in the softer dynamics and then picking my moments to also show power and strength. Yeah. Uh, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say this now and the, the people that I've interviewed, of course there's some outliers, but generally speaking, it seems like um, not that you're necessarily neutering your playing, you know, it's not like I'm going to do what I do, but less. It's just that when you're by yourself, um, it should sound like you're, yeah, in control um, of all the dynamics. So if you're taking such a big risk on the loud or soft side that it does not sound like you're in control anymore, that's probably not a super attractive thing to present to a committee that's only going to hear you for, you know, five or whatever minutes. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I was told once, you know, an audition is like a recital of excerpts. You know, you yeah. want to play as beautifully as you can. I mean, there's not just some of the players on the on the committee, but there's probably some string players. The conductor probably is not a brass player. Most conductors are string musicians or or pianists. You know, they're they're 
they're thinking about phrasing. They're thinking about musicality and how to shape a line. And I think we we tend to get a little trumpet headed in in our delivery, and that's not always successful. As I've matured and have thought about some of the auditions that didn't go well and, and getting comments back were helpful, you know, I just just taking it down like five percent in some cases can really make the difference of highlighting how mature you are as a player. You mentioned the word mindset, which I think is always a really interesting uh, topic when it relates to auditions. Um, I believe that sort of getting your mind right and making sure that you're uh, sort of allowing your skills to be used maximally by sort of clearing your head and making sure you're not having excess thoughts or maybe you're focusing so much on the outcome of you really feel like you have to win it that you don't stress yourself out that much more, you know? Um, right. I just wonder, you know, we, we were talking before the before we started recording about um, you've taken auditions and, uh, as you said, you've had some success, but you've had some frustrations. And I'm just curious if um, kind of how you manage your mindset to make sure that each audition you're giving the best of what you have and maybe either not carrying baggage or not putting too much on any one audition uh, I'm just curious for what your thoughts on uh, mindset and how important it can be, um, what your thoughts on that are. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really hard not to go in with an expectation. We want to do our best and we want to, we want to believe that at the end of the day, we're going to be the person that gets the job. And that's, it, it's really tough to do, but you have to almost stay neutral about it. You know, it's, if it, if it doesn't go well, you carry that baggage with you. And if you do do well, you carry that baggage with you. And it's really tough to um, kind of balance it out. The first of those five auditions that I took, I was runner-up. So I was really pumped. I was, like, thinking, okay, this is a good start to these five. Um, the next one's going to be mine. And then the next one I didn't advance at all. Yeah. Um, so, like... Wow, that, that came out of left field, and uh, that was a little crushing. So it kind of brought me back down to earth. And then Atlanta happened, and you know that that worked out really well. Um, I think the, the key is to try to really stay as neutral as you can. You know, I've delved into a little bit of visualization in the past. For this particular one, I didn't, but um, I had two really successful auditions where I was in finals in Philly and in uh, San Francisco, and I remember spending a lot of time visualizing the day. And, I mean, I, I took it pretty extreme. I would I would dress up in what I was going to wear, which was going to be a black suit, just black shirt, black suit. Mm-hmm. And I would sit on my couch, and I would listen to a recorded mock audition that I had done that had gone really well. And I think the, the tape was, like, 20 minutes long. And I close my eyes and I tried to meditate for a little bit and get into a zone where I could kind of clear out some thoughts and I would play the tape while listening to it and just imagine that I was on the stage playing this this round. You know, I would think about walking down the street and what the trees looked like and what the hall looked like and what the, you know, the stairs that I would go into looked like. That was very helpful. I mean, the amount of mental training you need to have, I think, for auditions is very equal to the amount of time we spend on the horn. I don't think that necessarily means you have to visualize or or meditate. You know, it could just be, uh, I work out, I really enjoy lifting weights, 
Um, for me, that's kind of a stress relief and a little bit of like a confidence boost. You know, if, if I'm able to get some stress out at the gym and feel confident about putting up some, some weights, I think that kind of stems into your, your psyche a little bit. It's like trying to get in the best, best headspace that you can. And, and trying to, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was, you know, avoid negativity. You know, try to block out the negativity because it's, you have a, a tiny little bit within yourself that is like so precious, this, this positive energy, this like fuel for your audition that you need to protect from all the outside, whether somebody cuts you off in traffic or you have a bad day at work or, you know, you, you don't do well at the last audition. All these things kind of chip away and it's, it's about being as positive as you can while also maintaining a really neutral attitude about it. I think the, the book, um, The Inner Game of Tennis, in a quick summary, is, is great. You have two people playing tennis, you know, and you have a judge. And the person serving hits an ace, and so he's pumped. He's thinking great expectations for the next serve. He's like, all right, you know, it's going to be more the same. It's going to be great. So he's already given himself an expectation that he needs to succeed. And then maybe the returner who, you know, got scored on is thinking, oh, crap, you know, like this is how it's going to go, and he's all negative, and he's thinking negative baggage for, for the rest of the game. And I think we got to be more like the referee who just, you know, calls the points as it is without the judgment. And that's really hard to do. I'm by no means an expert at it, but I'm trying, you know, to – to think of those thoughts and, and that adapt that kind of um, mentality when I'm preparing for stuff. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Um, I, I think of it as sort of being like an observer, you know, like like you said, just exactly the same thing, actually. We're the guy watching what's happening, and we can say, oh, that went well or that did not go well, and then we just sort of observe that for what it is, and then we take that information, and then we move on, and we just try to execute properly the next time, sort of free from the judgment or the expectation of the the last result, whatever that was. It's a really good way to put it. Yeah, totally. And I've also found, like, trying to just love yourself and care about yourself a little bit more and not take, not let the trumpet define who you are as a person, you know, just just because you, have, you do well or not so well at an audition doesn't all of a sudden make you any better or worse as an individual. And I think that's something we all need to remind ourselves that, you know, there are much more important things than missing a note. And we can't let that define who we are as a person and the people that we care about or the people that care about us. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with that statement anymore. I think it's essentially having that freedom from being a trumpet player, I feel like is actually something that has unlocked my ability to play so much more confidently and so much more musically and with so much more uh, compellingness, I guess, is just being like, I'm just going to do what I can in this moment, you know, and not worry about what it means if it goes really well or if it goes really poorly. And, um, yeah, right. it's interesting that you sort of tried to carry that with you to the audition. And I guess maybe to wrap up, I'm just curious what you felt like was maybe the thing that pushed you over on this particular audition? Of course, you may not have heard anybody else play, but um, did you feel like it was perfection that pushed you over? Or did you get a sense from the committee that maybe, yeah, it was like your musical commitment in that moment that was the thing that pushed you over? Or kind of why was this audition 
um, just that much more successful than even the other times you may have experienced success. Thinking back at it, I was asked to repeat a lot of stuff, which is usually a really good thing. It shows that they're interested and they either want to hear you play in a different style or they like you enough that they want to give you a second chance at something. Um, and I think they had asked for a lot of things repeated, not necessarily for, for misses or whatever, but just, you know, can you play that shorter or can you play that um, a little bit softer or can you play a little bit louder? Uh, and each of the rounds that they did that, I tried to make those adjustments really quick. Um, and I tried to make them very obvious. In the section round, I think that's where I had the best feeling of how things had gone. And it's probably where I felt also the most comfortable was finally just being able to play some music with, with other people. Yeah. Not just by yourself play, but feeling like you're, you're creating a bigger musical product. And I tried to match as best as I could. And we did things again. And I think kind of the things that I had said before were was just dial things back like 5%. You know, taking a little bit of the heat off of a forte. You know, if you know, if I could just think of a beautiful singing sound and think completely about phrasing and making music, um, that's where things started to really get exciting and start to get uh, successful for me in this particular audition. Well, I appreciate you talking to me, man. Uh, it's very inspiring stuff, not just helpful information but yeah i completely agree on so much of the mental stuff like you know mental self-speak and how we view ourselves can have such a impactful it just means it can mean a lot <laughs> towards how we sound on the trumpet and how what our relationship with the trumpet is I, i'm so glad that you you spoke about that uh, because i think it's not talked about often enough yeah it's like this taboo thing i think that we're afraid to talk about the mental side and how we maybe view ourselves when things are going not so great or when things are going well. And it's, it's just a balance. And I think um, not just for this audition, but in, in past auditions where I was starting to realize that it made sense and it was more, and it was worth investigating a little bit more, I think is, uh, could maybe help other people as well. Yeah. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope you have a really nice night. Thanks, man. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. I really liked how Mark spoke about how his technical preparation included very slow playing while trying to maintain a singing style at all times. I think it's incredibly important to remember that ultimately we are musicians and our instrument is our voice. It's a good reminder not to lose sight of the end goal we should have, which is to make as much music as possible. I was also very glad to hear Mark touch on the topic of identity as a musician. I think it's often overlooked as a key component to a healthy relationship with your instrument, so I was glad he opened up about that during our conversation. It was great to chat with Mark, as I feel he was able to give some really practical advice that many of us can benefit from. Next up, we have Jacqueline Rainey. Jacqueline recently won the associate principal horn position with the Los Angeles Philharmonic. 
She seemed very happy to be as open as possible about her success and how she thinks she made it happen. We started off her interview with me asking, how did you break down the excerpts for this audition? Let's see what she said. Um, when the list came out, it was pretty standard for the most part. So for me personally, I spend a lot of time on the concerto, which is like always Mozart because that's not something that is super natural for me. So I spend a lot of time practicing that right off the bat. But um, the main thing was with having a job and teaching a lot, I didn't really have a ton of time to practice. So um, I would kind of prioritize all the excerpts. I kind of separate things into um, three different stacks. And the first stack is the stuff that needs the most work or it's the stuff that I'm not very familiar with. Like for the LA audition, they had two pretty big chunks of the um, Schoenberg Chamber Symphony, which I didn't know, and it was really hard. So that was in the first stack. And then the second stack is the stuff that I'm pretty familiar with, but I should probably, you know, look at it a few times a week. And then the third stack was kind of like Brahms symphony solos and stuff that, you know, we've all been playing for 15 years, you know, and really didn't need that much work. So, you know, most days I didn't have that much time to practice. So I would just work on that first stack of the stuff that needed the most help. So that hmm. kind of helped me feel like I was making the best use of the time that I had. Sure. So with, uh, something like the Schoenberg Chamber Symphony, did you, uh, when you're learning something like that, do you break it down really slowly? Are you just listening to the recording a lot? Like, how do you break that down to allow yourself to, you know, make sure you're ready to play it and play it with whatever amount of conviction that's needed? Um, I listened to the recording a lot, and it was pretty, both excerpts from that were pretty technical. So I did do that one pretty slowly because it jumped around a few octaves, you know, so I was just trying to make sure that I was getting it really in my muscle memory. Sure, yeah. But as long as I, I do better with things like that, if I can just hit it every day, you know, some days I'd be tired from work and it wouldn't sound very good, but I would still try and make sure that I went through it at least once. So, so were you practicing that first stack? Were you practicing the whole stack every day and then maybe the second stack every other day and the third stack like once a week? Or did you have a plan like that? Uh, it was basically like that. You know, some days I couldn't get through the whole first stack, you know, because I'd either be tired from work or we'd have a concert that night. I didn't want to be exhausted for that. But I kind of had them prioritized even within the first stack, like, you know, the Schoenberg was always there, and, like, Shasti 5 is not one of my all-time favorite excerpts, so that was always in there. I made sure I got through the low 2D every day, whether it went well or not. Yeah. <laughs> I made sure I did it. Um, I think another thing that helps, like, I would add little bits of excerpts into my warm-up every day. Like, I didn't need to practice the entire opening of Heldenleben every day. Because if I could get those first two measures to go really well, then the rest of it is normally fine. So I would just play the opening of Helden Layman like 10 times every morning after I did my warm-up. And also, like, Till Eulenspiegel is one. 
if it was a third horn audition, I would throw like Mendelssohn three in there, you know, just to make sure that I hit all the spots of things yeah. that would go wrong more than others. Yeah, cool. Um, is this a similar preparation to the other auditions that you had done well in, or did you try to add anything special for this audition? Um, I think for the most part, it was the same as other auditions. I probably had the least amount of time to practice for this audition. So I feel like I, you know, I was really good at being efficient with it. But I also think the biggest thing that made this audition different was I already had a job that I loved and I was just going to take this audition and see how it went. So I didn't really put any pressure on the situation. So every excerpt, I was just like, I'm going to play it the way that I want to play it. And if they like it, great. If not, then it probably wasn't going to be a good fit anyway. And I'll just go back to Atlanta and life will go on, you know. So it sounds like you subscribe to the idea of putting yourself out there the way you want to do it and not necessarily trying to play differently for an audition than you would maybe in the orchestra. Right. Yeah. Cause you hear that yeah, sometimes. I and I think some it. people I've even interviewed have said that they would maybe tweak some things, maybe not play quite as loud or quite as soft or things like that. But um, it's interesting to me that that's sort of a, can be a debated uh, topic, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I probably didn't play a lot louder in the orchestra than you can in auditions, but just like style wise and just certain things that I like to do or that I've been taught to do with certain excerpts. It was just, I wasn't concerned with, Oh, I wonder what everyone in LA wants me to sound like, you know, yeah. it was just, I just wanted, I feel a lot more confident when I'm just doing things the way that I like, instead of trying to guess what someone else would like. Yeah. So that probably leads to, uh, a good, healthy mindset, I suppose. And it's one of the things I really like to talk about related to an audition because I think getting yourself into a good mindset is kind of like a precursor to being able to play well. And so no matter how well you can play your instrument, if you're stressing yourself out or if you're just thinking about things too much, overthinking it and like that, sometimes even if you can play all the excerpts beautifully on the day of the actual audition, it may not go as well as you would like. And I'm just exactly. curious if you have any, any thoughts about, you know, you've already touched on it a little bit, but maybe other things that you have developed or maybe things you thought for this specific audition that you felt might've helped you get into like a good mindset to be able to play as well as you could. Um, I think for the most part, I've always been able to stay pretty positive about things until the actual day comes. And then all the negative thoughts, come in. I think one thing I did differently, I had two one years in Atlanta and then I had to do an audition for the full-time position and that was probably the audition where I overthought it and freaked myself out the most in my head and when I got out on stage, I had like a thousand thoughts running through my head like, oh, I hope I get this. I hope yeah. I don't mess it up. You know, yeah. like I had already kind of shot myself in the foot a little bit anyway thinking that so I play the best when I can kind of like not be thinking at all. So one thing that helped, I made sure I listened to all the excerpts like a ton, even if I already knew them really well. And then on the day of the audition, it was actually, we had two different days because it was pretty spread out. But um, if I can get the 
orchestra going in my head, like a few measures before the excerpt starts that gives me something to think about. And then I can just kind of go on autopilot and just play and not be distracted with like, oh, I hope I don't mess up or, you know, sometimes you'll go out on the stage and be like, oh, look at that pretty light fixture, you know, (laughs) you know, just like you have like a thousand different ways your head could go. But I'm a big fan of that saying, like, keep it simple, stupid. The less I can think in the moment, the better I do most of the time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So how did that translate into your playing in the audition? Uh, I'm always curious to find out and hearing these stories of people who won these really great jobs and you talk to them later and they were like, yeah, I didn't play this well or this didn't go as well, you know, and you start to realize like they're human as well and they make mistakes. What was your experience in your audition? I mean, did you feel like it was one of the best auditions you've ever played or did you have some mistakes, but they let you play things over again and you kind of showed that you could be flexible? What was your experience? My first few rounds were really good. I mean, everybody misses something, you know, I think, especially on horn, you miss notes all the time, pretty much, you know. Oh, I mean, I thought I played well. I stayed pretty calm. Near the end, I started to get tired and things, you know, because we did a few rounds in one day. It wasn't as great as it had been earlier that day, but, you know, I just had to keep telling myself to not think about that note that I missed in the last one and just keep going. And if I missed another note, nobody was going to die. It wasn't going to be the end of the world. You know, just kind of keep going and not, you don't want to be analyzing it as you're doing it, you know. Did you get any feedback from the committee, whether it was at the audition or now afterwards playing with them, that they kind of said, oh, we really like this thing you did or, uh, you know, we liked how consistent you were or did you get any feedback about what things maybe helped you stand apart? Not necessarily because they got it down to um, two of us and then we had a trial with the orchestra like a month and a half later and um, I think they just really wanted to see like who was going to fit with the group and I don't exactly remember but I think the more um, lyrical excerpts where you could take more musical risk kind of thing, I think that was one thing that they really liked about my playing. But for the most part, I think it was just that I was just very confident with all of it and just, you know, this is how I like to do it and hope you like it too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I I mean, in the couple of auditions that I've done well in as well, that's kind of the same feeling. Um, I, I find when I try to overthink it and say, what do they want? I still play well, right? You're not necessarily going to fold or anything like that. But exactly what you were describing, I feel when you're not overthinking it and you're just saying, this is what I like to sound like, it comes across as the most compelling version, I think, of your playing, which ultimately becomes the most attractive to them. So I think it's kind of a, not necessarily from a technical standpoint, but just from sort of that indescribable feeling of this is the person we want, you know? Right. Um, do you have anything else that you can think of that might have been uh, useful about your preparation or just anything that was kind of interesting about uh, what was going on around the audition that might be useful for anybody to, to think about? Like I said, I was, like, ridiculously busy. I was teaching a whole lot and didn't have much time. So I recorded myself, and I normally did anyway, but this time I think I did more than usual. And I tried to go through 
every excerpt and the sides just having good time and intonation, you know, like the nuts and bolts. I was just trying to make sure that I was doing everything that was on the page, dynamics and articulations. And, you know, it's always good, especially with horn, to record yourself in a big room, especially because we're pointing the wrong way. You can think that you're... (laughs) really doing some accent or something and then you put a recorder out in the middle of a hall and it doesn't sound like you're doing anything along the lines of that there's a I think it's a Steve Martin quote that I like it's um be so good that they can't ignore you and I've just kind of taken that as be so good that they don't have an excuse to not advance you because you know there's personal preference, but if you're doing everything on the page and you have good time and good intonation, especially in those first rounds, you know, they're just looking for reasons to cut you. And if you don't give them a reason, that's helped me kind of simplify it. Yeah. You know, and not freak out about extra things. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I like that. Uh, I would like to touch on this recording thing just a little bit more uh, because it's what you were talking about reminded me of something that Barbara Butler told me about, which is um, if you can record yourself, that's great. But if you can record yourself and put the recorder where the committee might be sitting in a hall, that's even better, right? Because then you're hearing what they would be hearing sitting there. So you, you probably just recorded in the hall in Atlanta or what, how did you uh, get a hold of a big hall like that? Yeah, I did it. In Atlanta a few times, and even, you know, the living room was the biggest room in my house. I didn't use a fancy recorder. I literally just used my iPhone and the voice memo thing and yeah. put my phone as far away from me as I could, you know, and would try and just emulate it that way. And, you know, like I said, we're pointing the wrong way. So as long as the phone was pretty far in front of me, that was pretty indicative of what was coming off to a listener. You know, I would do mock auditions and stuff, even if it was over FaceTime or something with friends. You know, it was, I tried to just, you know, get a lot of opinions before the day actually came. And it's always interesting to see what other people will hear that you're not hearing. Right. There was also an element of, I just had to trust myself that I knew some things so well and had been playing them so long I didn't need to practice it because you know when you're in school and you don't have much else going on I used to love to go through the entire list every day and really felt like I was on top of everything but you know as we get older and life gets more and more busy you just have to do what you can and trust that the rest will be there when you need it yeah well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It's all really wonderful things to to think about. And um, even for me, you know, this is like the coolest part of this process is I feel like I'm learning a ton about auditioning. I'm like, I want a couple jobs, you know, so it's really cool to feel like, yeah. although I've had success, like there's so much to still learn from other people who are successful. And so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Yeah, well, thank you. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. I've known Jacqueline for a lot of years, so I know that besides the LA audition she recently won, she has been successful in many other auditions. I'm sure the mindset she has of, I'm just going to play the excerpts the way I like them to go and be confident in that, has a lot to do with it. 
I imagine it allows her to be the most compelling version of herself in auditions, which likely leads the committees to wanting to hear her round after round. I also want to point out that although she was holding down a full-time job and maintaining a full teaching studio, she was still able to find a way to prepare for this audition. It really goes to show that if something's that important to you, you can find a way to make it happen. I think that's going to be all for this episode. I'd really like to thank Mark and Jacqueline for giving their time and their thoughts to help us all learn some important things about how to have audition success. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes on the podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and a review for the podcast, that would help others be able to find it and enjoy it as well. I'd also like to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode. And most of all, I'd really like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time.